Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett. I'm joined by Beth Demert, Heartbeat International Director of Affiliate Services, and Dr. Joe Malone, who we always enjoy bringing onto the podcast whenever we can. He's the sexual integrity scientist. He's been working on this program about women's sexual wellness, which uh, that might be a new term for some of you. And so we'll be discussing that throughout this episode as well. Uh, Beth and Dr. Joe will explain some of those differences we've heard over the years in terminology surrounding abstinence programs or sexual integrity and how those changes, uh, we can now kind of look at the culture and take some of the things that we've learned over the years and just keep communicating that message of healthy relationships to clients. And Heartbeat Academy is really excited to launch a new program on women's sexual wellness very soon. So I know Beth and Dr. Joe will be talking about that in our episode. So I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to you. We are thrilled to be here. And I always appreciate your warm welcomes to Pregnancy Help Podcast. Uh, We are very close to uh, our next holiday, uh, which is Valentine's Day. And so it's the perfect time to be talking about things like love and romance, which are, of course, a part of uh, women's sexual wellness. So, Dr. Joe, thank you for being here. Happy Valentine's Day. And thank you again for being our regular Valentine guest. It's my honor, Beth. Thank you. And thank thank you, Christine. Uh, It's always wonderful to be with you. Thank you. So great to have you here. You know, as Christine mentioned, we've been working together now for a little bit more than two years. You have been so helpful in helping to um, educate our community on all things sexual wellness. Um, You've written for us. You've done other podcasts. You've spoken at our conference. And that's going to be happening again just in a few short months as we go out to Salt Lake City. Uh, You'll be doing an in-depth day along with uh, a workshop, and we'll have some uh, designated time for Meet Dr. Joe and question and answer with Dr. Joe. So we're really looking forward to that. But today's conversation, really, we want to focus on sort of what's behind all of that. Why are we spending time on this topic, and why are we calling it Women's Sexual Wellness? Um, If you're familiar at all with some of the great marketing minds out there, Simon Sinek is one of them, and he talks about knowing your why. And so today we're going to present our why behind women's sexual wellness. And um, why don't we start, if you would, I know you have a long history and a robust history in the wellness area in general. Why don't we just start there and bring our listeners into that? Be glad to. Yeah, this goes back a long way. I was actually I was actually failing seventh grade PE was when my wellness journey started, and so I won't go into the details of what I did, but I turned into turned from a couch potato to I guess you'd say quite the opposite. I ended up playing Division One college football and all of that, but eventually learned to make it more of a, a more of a labor type of lifestyle, kind of like our ancestors used to have to work, you know, like in the fields and that type of thing, and. Um, realized that a, a, a happy medium amount of, of exercise or, you know, fitness of habits is important. And then eating well, uh, ended up in the fitness industry for 12 years and then also taught at a university, one of our universities here in the Nashville area and, uh, had created a women's, uh, wellness program. It was actually a women's personal conditioning class. And then it became a program because there was a lot of sorority women in, in it. 
and I ended up going and working with their sororities, you know, with resistance bands and, and teaching them the nutrition, that type of thing. Along the way, I got a PhD in basically college women's wellness and discovered in the course of the PhD that uh, all the factors I thought were, were, you know, problems like the lack of exercise and the food, the bad habits on, on, on campus and that type of thing, they were all true. But this other thing that the young women made me aware of that I had been ignorant of, a uh, hookup culture I could see was much more damaging to them than anything else I had even anticipated. They were in, you know, they were wrecks. They were uh, emotionally distraught. They were depressed. They were anxious. And uh, they just kept, just kept going back over and over and over again into this situation, not knowing how to do something about it. So I literally went to my committee, my PhD committee, and asked them if I could go in, in the sexual wellness direction rather than just the overall um, big picture uh, wellness situation that I had anticipated. So so I have overall, you could say, Beth, that I have about 50 years, 50 years of experience in overall wellness, and then about 15 years or so in the sexual wellness field. I've been studying the brain, though, um, since the early 90s. So the things that we're going to talk about today, sexual wellness, the way we work as as women and men sexually, that really has been discovered starting in the 90s and then especially the last 10 years. So it's, it's, it's very recent. So our knowledge on this is, is um, it's just it's really emerging right now. So it's a real big uh, tool if we'll just you know, put it to use in this area. Yeah, I so appreciate your background and you sharing all of that. I love how you casually just said, oh, I got a PhD along the way. <laughs> <laughs> like you go to the grocery store and get one of those, right? Um, it was it was incidental to everything else that was going on. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, I also was very, um, let's say, humored by uh, the idea that you said, I've been doing this for 50 years. Some of uh, our listeners have not met you personally yet. But let's say they come out to Salt Lake City, they're going to call you a liar and say, there's no way you've been doing this for 50 years because you have a very youthful appearance. But wow. that's neither here nor there. They're going to make my year if they, if they say that. There you go. Well, <laughs> count on it to happen. So, all right. So wellness, wellness in general, and then the specific focus on sexual wellness. And that's how we got connected here mm -hmm. at Heartbeat. Um, a mutual colleague knew what you were doing and knew what Heartbeat had been doing and thought we should get together, which I'm very grateful for that. And so over the last two years, like I said, we've been working together. You've educated us so much about this topic of women's sexual wellness. But I think that the topic is not every day for most people. And even for those who work in pregnancy help, it's not necessarily from the perspective that you come at it an everyday thing. So let's start with the definition. Um, it's kind of the idea of how do you define women's sexual wellness? And I'll tell on myself a little bit here for a minute. In preparing for today, I wanted to just kind of get a, an understanding of how the culture sees women's sexual wellness. And I did something really kind of dumb. I did a Google search and it lasted for all about two minutes until I shut it down because I didn't want to read any more of what I was reading. Our culture definitely has an opinion about women's sexual wellness and what that entails, what it should entail. Uh, a lot of what I started to read went into reproductive rights, and that was something that was, you know, 
a little hard to look at because it came from a very different place from where I've spent my life and invested. And so anyway, didn't spend a whole lot more time in that Google search, but um, I'm very curious, how would you define women's sexual wellness? Well, my easiest and first uh, shortest definition is, is women's, I'll just say sexual wellness is or equals sexual integrity. That's what my research has has shown. Uh, but I have a real good friend who's very wise that came up with this definition, so I think I'll use it. Uh, women's sexual wellness is understanding and presenting women's sexuality in a, in a scientifically rooted way and, and equipping young women to better understand and self-manage their, their sexual behavior. That would be, I guess, the science of it and the teaching of it. Um, and really, when you come down to, and what we're going to try to do as far as at the conference and in other venues, um, when you come down to it, though, it's, it's it's the opposite of your Google search, because your Google search, I think, found, you know, the avocation there is uh, promiscuity, what, you know, what we would call promiscuity, what they would call sex positivity these days. And that really is the opposite from my research that I found that contributes to women's sexual wellness. Women were designed to, again, there's, they were all designed this way, but there's about 10 to 15% of them that don't feel this way because of ex other things like exposure to higher levels of testosterone when they were in utero, when they were in their mother's womb. So this doesn't apply to absolutely all women, but let's say 85%. Their sexual nature is to stay abstinent for want of a better word to stay non-sexual as far as um you know not, um, not sexually active is the phrase i'm looking for and you know and court with a, a young man uh, have a romance with a young man um get to know each other uh get to know each other on levels other than just the the, the sexual and have a fairly long period of time doing that and then maybe you know move the commitment up to an engagement and again, still, still staying, you know, not sexually active with each other. And then, you know, uh, getting to marriage, probably not, probably sooner rather than later, because long engagements, I think can be bad as far as trying to stay in that uh, um, chaste condition. And what it works out to be, and this is again, research that isn't very well known by too many people. When that happens, when you have a courtship along those lines, then the young man's bonding system works properly. There's a neurochemical called a vasopressin and vasopressin to make a long story short, not to get in too much detail here, but vasopressin and like all biochemicals in the brain needs to be in the brain long enough to prompt receptors to be, to be made. And vasopressin is the male bonding chemical, as I said earlier. And what happens is if it's in the brain long enough, then the, the receptors get built. There's a receptor is about a million times smaller than that, but that's what they look like. And then the the molecule from the vasopressin locks into it. And that's when a, a man, young man falls in love. He bonds with her, in other words. And also his testosterone drops at that level. And then his oxytocin, which is actually both sexes bonding chemical, but more the more females, it's able to come into play too. So there's a double bond. When, when there's active sex happening, sex especially to orgasm, um, the young man's vasopressin never never builds up in his brain. Um, it actually just gets blown out of there by the, the results of an orgasm for a guy, which is a, a burst of serotonin, oxytocin, 
and especially opioids. Opioids are the main main reward chemical. And then so so the process that a lot of young women are are looking for and wanting to have happen that is a long long term relationship and hopefully even a marriage relationship. They're destroying their chances of it by being sexually active with him, and they they don't know that they don't know that they don't know the science behind it. We haven't known the science behind it, you know, in the years leading up to this. Um, and you know, the folks that have gone before us, great folks, uh, abstinence education folks, they just knew that it was you know what the the Bible prescribed and that type of thing as far as that kind of a chaste courtship. And, you know, it, it, there's a reason that it worked the way that it did. This is what I tell young people. There's a reason that, you know, in 1960, when the, when they're having normal, these courtships that we're talking about, uh, we had a 5% out of wedlock birth rate, you know, and, and by 2010, it was, it was 40% out of wedlock birth rate. So there was a reason that it was working and divorce again, exploded all, as well, you know, from about the mid sixties on, especially through the, through the seventies, um, abortion exploded during that from 73 on as we all know well now so uh the young women are think were thinking one way and being told by the society particularly the you know the sexual revolution society the 60s uh hippies that you had to be you had to be sexually active in order to even have a chance to get a guy and that's what's just gotten worse from the 60s up until present day it's just gotten worse with the hookup cultures type of thing when actually it was quite the opposite. And, you know, the other thing they don't realize is that young men classify young women according to how um, willing they are to have casual sex. And when when uh, they are willing to have casual sex, the, the young women, then the men will classify them into a not-for-marriage bin, so to speak. And when they won't, uh, they classify them into the potential marriage partner uh, and long-term, you know, relationship partner. So there's those things. And, and it's not, I always try to explain this to the, the college groups. It's not because these guys are such, you know, chauvinists and pigs and that type of thing. Like they get, they get the reputation. Um, maybe a little bit of that, but um, mostly it's that they're insecure because men in our society and going way back into, into our ancestry, you know, we have internal fertilization and, and internal gestation. So really the women are the only ones that know who fathered the child for sure, you know? And so a man that's going to commit at the level, especially these days uh, of marriage is going to want to know that his wife to be is going to be faithful to him and that he's the father of any and all babies. And so the best indicator of that is how willing she is to have, you know, premarital sex. I mean, the, the, the biggest indicator, uh, and predictor of adult of, um, adultery in marriage and marriage breaking up is premarital sexual partner number. So, so he's got this instinct. He's got this paternity certainty. They call it paternity certainty instinct. Okay. And he wants to know if, if this woman's sexually active with him, he's got, he's suspecting she's, she's going to be, and she maybe has been sexually active with a bunch of others. And so she's not a good bet for a future wife. And he, and, um, She's she in her mind, she has female choice in her mind. What she's thinking is, I want to find a guy with good genes. And that that, that interprets to handsome, you know, uh, and you know, tall, dark, and handsome, and all that. Um, but also I want to find somebody that's gonna be a good bet to stay with me when I get pregnant, you know, hang in there with me when during the tough time. So really integrity is what they're both looking for.
you know, sexual integrity. And when you're talking about a mar potential marriage in the future. So, um, again, with hookup culture, our girls have been programmed to do just the opposite from what should happen. They should be the ones that are the sexual gatekeepers holding the line on it, forcing discipline for both of them. And I know that sounds, you know, this day and age, you get really attacked for that, but women are so much better at it because their brains are so much different than the men's on average. They have so much less sex drive. You know, men have in their brains, they have, three areas that are twice as big that have to do with sex drive and, and, and kind of sexual compulsion, three areas of their brain that are um, twice as big as in, in the, in the women's brains and twice as packed with, with uh, neurons. Also they're sensitive to, to testosterone and testosterone runs about 20 times more in men than as female in females. So, so the women have this superpower that, that they can exercise and kind of, and, and, have things go exactly the way they want them to. And again, we call that superpower, whatever we want to call it, uh, not being sexual active, sexually active, I guess would be. And the other thing is, you know, what the science, I think when we have science on this now, as compared to just, just having human behavior, you know, uh, observed for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years before us, and then having the biblical texts and other, other, you know, major religions kind of all agree on this. Uh, but now we have the science and we can, we can actually lay out in front of young people if, if as a staff, as a pregnancy center staff, pregnancy help center staff, we can lay out in front of them why they're feeling the way that they are here, wh what's happening inside of them. The other thing we can lay out is scientific facts like, you know, do you want to have a relationship? Do you want to end up getting married? You know, and I just, as a quick aside, just to kind of lay out some research I did at the university I used to teach at, I, I, um, researched 438 of them undergraduates and asked them what you know, how many would you of you would like to be married in the future and this is male and female and it was 97.48 said that they wanted to be married in the future well what the research is also showing us is that in this hookup situation or or you know potential relationship situation how are they want the, especially the women want to shape it um <clears throat> The shorter the time to sex in the relationship, the shorter the relationship. So I'm going to say that one more time because it's it's pretty important. The shorter the time to sex in a relationship, the shorter the relationship. So you get to sex, you know, right away, let's say the first date and everything, you can bet scientifically that it's not going to last very long. Your, your relationship isn't. And so you don't get to sex right away. You get don't get to sex till maybe, you know, you're married, let's say a year, year later. You're going you're gonna to have a pretty high probability, a very high probability that your marriage is going to go the distance. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, we're talking about an advantage we have now that we didn't have before. And that's what women's sexual wellness, the way we're laying it out here, um, that's what we're doing is we're putting this superpower in the uh, hands of these young women through these pregnancy help staffs all, all over the country and all over the world. And uh, I think it, make, it can make a huge difference. One last thing. I know I've said a lot on this, but you can tell my heart's full of having this knowledge and wanting to share it. Um, men, when they're in a situation, a hookup situation with a young woman, and again, this isn't me talking, this is the research. Talking. <laughs> uh, and it's unfortunate, but um, they found that when a, a sexual encounter happens, a hookup happens, that your typical man, not all of them, but most of them, uh, in his mind's eye, once 
once he's reached orgasm and pardon the graphicness of this, but you almost ha- need to be able to say it in order to get the, the, the meaning across. Once he's reached that, he starts finding within 10 seconds, he starts finding the, the woman he just had sex with less attractive, less funny, less smart, less of all, all the good things that you'd want to be considered as, uh, as, as a young woman because he hasn't bonded with her. He hasn't bonded with her. He hasn't had that period of courtship that we were talking about. Now, on the other hand, because the woman's uh, bonding mechanism is, is simpler, um, it, it just takes oxytocin and dopamine, um, and his takes three. And anyway, she, she's bonded with him very, very tightly, and she's falling in love with him, and, and he's on to the next one. That's what I saw with all the, my, call, the college young women I was working with. They're brokenhearted. They're all torn up. They're depressed. They're anxious. And he's on to the next one. But I will say this too. It's no good for him either because it, it wrecks young men's health. It, it, it ends up depressing them because we weren't supposed to live like that as men. We weren't supposed to um, have sex like that uh, um, randomly. And then also have porn available the way that porn porn is available. So it's wrecking our, our society on, on many different levels, both male and female. So I will stop there. Well, let me pick up by saying, listeners, now that we have your attention, right? There was there was a lot in there about sexual wellness and the science behind it. So I wanna I wanna pause there for a second because you commented about how this is new information or how women's sexual wellness has now kind of evolved because we now have the science. Help me understand that a little bit more. Why is the science new? How did it come about? Where did this change happen? Good question. I actually jotted down some notes as far as the different areas that we have now that we didn't have. So to, to your question, it's come about through neuroscience, that would be like brain scans, biochemistry, genome mapping, genetics, even paleontology, because you can study our species and, and compare it to other species, especially the close species to us, like chimpanzees, orangutan, gorilla. And you can learn things from that as well, because a promiscuous species, or let's just say a sex-positive species, to, to put it in the, the, the modern, the postmodern uh, terms, uh, they have a whole different body structure than than we do. We're we're not a promiscuous species, or a, we're not a sex positive species. If you want to define that as promiscuity, which is w- what it really means, so we have whole different bodies. And I don't think we want to go into that right now. We can at the conference. If any of you that are listening here want to know the differences between uh, us, for example, and our closest genetic relative, which is the chimpanzees. You know, we share right at ninety nine percent of the same DNA. But we're worlds apart as far as our our our, our mating system or sexual nature. So, um, and you can tell that by our bodies. Um, one thing, I'll just give you a little teaser on that, a little piece of it. Not just our bodies, but also the way the physiology of our bodies and and what we're susceptible to, uh, disease wise and not. For instance, we are very susceptible to um, STIs, STDs, however you want to put that, uh, gonorrhea, syphilis. Chlamydia, we're very susceptible. Matter of fact, syphilis is becoming, uh, right now, is becoming another epidemic that's getting out of control again. They are not, chimpanzees are not, um, they're not susceptible to any of those. They don't get those because 
they've been been promiscuous for thousands of generations and we haven't been promiscuous so our bodies aren't are not made to um have a lot of pathogens coming into them they they literally have a much higher white blood cell count than we do chimpanzees do so um they've developed over the, over their generations of being pr promiscuous the ability to be promiscuous and not have it you know damage them they've lost them sure they've had a lot of them die probably along the way that you know their systems couldn't couldn't handle it so so all those different ways we have multiple scientific points of evidence that we can go to psychology species level physiology you know just greater biology as well so we didn't have those really it's it's really exploded about the last 30 years and then especially the last 10 years yeah so it's really interesting to me to uh, have you share that and to know that knowledge because in our history of pregnancy help which you know really is about 50-ish years old uh, a lot of this has been sort of transpiring within that time period. And so when I think about, you know, sort of earlier education about sexuality, it really was very abstinence-based, if you would, right? The, the message, the core message, the why was to abstain uh, because sex isn't good for you. But, it, or sex can harm you, I think is really what that came down to. And we our educators really pointed out all the ways that it was harmful, right? Education about STIs, education about what happens to our bodies. And now knowing that um, science has really sort of progressed in this, in those areas that you talked about, I think it just begs a different approach and our culture being what it is, I think fortifies that in that um, there's still a lot of sort of negativity out there uh, about this. And so as I've been thinking about it, it took me right back to what I know to be sort of the beginning, <laughs> right, with, with Adam and Eve, because I am a believer and I come from a biblical worldview. And I think about, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden they were in perfect relationship with a perfect God. They had, you know, think about the best environment you can even think about, and it was better than that. They had everything they needed, and they were told, this is all yours. You can take advantage of all of this, but there's one thing that you cannot touch. And we all know the story that it didn't take very long that Eve decided, oh, yes, I can. I can touch that, right? It's still our human nature. I, I don't know about you. I'll speak for myself. Somebody says, don't look over there at that red tree. I look right to the red tree. <laughs> it's just who we are and how we work, right? So back to our early education, the the message, and it was a good message, and it was meant for good things, but don't have sex, didn't really produce what we wanted it to produce, right? right. So what are your thoughts about that? Oh, I think that's great. I think that's a great analysis. Um, yeah, sin and uh, Adam and Eve sin, you know, or sin nature. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, that's the whole, that's the story of history, really, you know, of of uh, going the opposite way from way, the way that God um, told us to. And I'm a believer as well, for anybody that's interested in that. Um, I can, the good thing is I can present it either, either, you know, from a biblical perspective or from scientific and many times both. So, um, but but I I agree with you, Beth, because 
we all have that that tendency you, you know from from childhood on you're, you're told to don't touch that don't do that and a lot of times it's don't touch the stove you know the, the stove it, it, it's it's red especially when it's red and of course we have to touch it and of course we learn same thing with all, all the things God tells us you know it, it all has good reasons behind it when we were told not to do things but I think there's just so much potential here for a positive approach to this because I don't think the negative approach is necessary necessarily because the optimal and flourishing health for, for humans is only really available through the, through the means that we're describing here. And that's a huge gift to be able to give to somebody. Uh, that's what just about everybody I know is looking for it, especially young people, you know? So um, I think that in the past when the, the scientific knowledge was limited I think that, that that approach was correct. And I, I, the absence approach was correct. And I think that the people that were using it did the best they could with what they had. And I think a lot of good was probably done with it. But I still have people that will come up to me now and 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 talk to me that say that they were, of course, they're older, a little older here, but they'll say they were um, teenagers during the purity, purity uh, movement, purity culture, I guess it was, purity culture. And they'll say, you know, um, one of them said, you know, my wife and I were pure, you know, all the way through our courtship and everything I'm recommending, <laughs> you know, but again, from the sci scientific perspective, and he said, but we got to our wedding night and, and we hadn't, hadn't touched each other. We hadn't ever, you know, kissed or anything like that. Got to our wedding night and we didn't know what to do. And we were, we were intimidated. And, and, uh, I mean, he was expressing all this negativity and he, he said, you know, we eventually, you know, we were able to, uh, work work it through, he said, but it was like it was, it was stigmatized, you know, to the point where um, it had become kind of an evil or a bad in our in our lives, and 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 we loved each other the whole time. We did what we were what we were told to do, but it had a negative effect. And when we actually came together and were and we're we're supposed to have have a beautiful love making session. So what I've come to realize, Beth, is that I think there's a when I say this, I think there's a moderate approach. I don't mean going into anything where there's a, as a Christians would classify a, a sexual sin. So I don't, I'm not saying anything other than hugging and kissing those types of things I think are important because there's a lot of um, bonding that takes place through that kind of positive touch for one thing. Um, I always tell the, you know, when, when college students ask me and they do, uh, Christian university students, they ask me, well, what about, you know, what about the, what, what's allowed? I say, I always say, as far as touching goes, you know, wherever a women's, a woman's bathing suit would be, that's for sure off limits, wherever the guy's bathing suit would be, that, that's off limits. Another way, another way to put it with my earlier years when I was coaching was stay out of the strike zone in you know, the strike zone, you know, it's about here to about your knees. So, um, I don't believe in the type of, things that are being put out there along the lines of what your Google search, what you found in your Google search. And that's just too common that basically everything goes, you know, everything goes and you're actually repressed and oppressed. If you don't, if you don't do absolutely everything, everything about sex is positive. Every, every type of sex is positive. And I absolutely do not do, believe, believe that, but I think, you know, again, we now have the scientific knowledge along with what we've had from the biblical uh, and God's design perspective we have a good good handle on on what needs to happen and it needs to not be absolutely you know 
absolute making sex stigmatized because it is a beautiful thing. And um, there's definitely a time and a place for it after a marriage has taken place. At the same time, we need to go against the the pervasive uh, message on the, in the culture of absolutely everything goes as long as you have consent. You have consent. You you do anything you want, and 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 we and everybody needs to admire it. Whatever whatever it is, you just do whatever whatever it is you want. You feel like so. Um, that's where I would say the wisdom is, and keeping in mind the Eve mistake, um, and keeping in mind that we all we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. And so we have that sin tendency in us and we have that defiant um, defiance in, in us. And so I think if you can teach people in a positive way as a, as a pregnancy help center, as young women pr- particularly, and again, their nature is wanting them, they want to go down the pathway of being exclusive as far as their sexuality goes. Most women have a natural modesty to them. Most women have a natural tendency to want to reserve sex for special occasions, uh, you know, romantic occasions. And um, the context is much more important to them. The person they're doing it with has, is much more important. Um, is he, what kind of a person is he? Is he, is he? is he smart? Is he funny? Is he, is he a good guy? You know, those kind of things are important. A lot of the guys, you know, again, in the research, on a population average, a lot of the guys is not so important. It's just what she looks like, you know, what's her surface, what's her body parts look like, you know, um, it's all very, to use one of their terms, objectified and it shouldn't be, I mean, it should be a very, um, respectful and empathetic, really understanding it, it, you know, if, if this knowledge can get out there widely, young women could understand how young men are thinking and why they're thinking the way they are and vice versa. Young, uh, young men could understand about young women and realize why going about this respectful courtship, this respectful dating and uh, getting on a pathway to marriage and a family, that is a marriage is probably other than in my experience, other than my giving my life to Christ, uh, marriage has been the next biggest thing, you know, in my life. Uh, and the way you get there is through women's sexual wellness, again, which equals uh, women's sexual integrity, which forces the men to have sexual integrity. That's the that's the whole thing there. They're, they It helps the men do what they need to do and helps them to be better men. And we need to, you know, we need to work on our men. We need to, young men, especially boys, we need to work on teaching them chivalry and, and uh, how to treat women and to... Uh, just be better men. Um, but again, I think it all works together, you know, again, and the, the linchpin to it is the sexual women's sexual wellness because they're equipped. Women have, besides the difference in the testosterone, you know, 20 times less testosterone average. Uh, they also have 13 times more what we call SHBG, uh, sex hormone binding globulin and sex hormone binding globulin actually inactivates, uh, hormones. So they're not only have a lot less t- uh, testosterone, which is the sex-seeking hormone, they also have, what they do have of it is, is uh, not nearly as much free. It's, it's not active compared to the guys. So I believe God made us the way we are, just specifically the males and the females, they were just exactly the way they are for, for, the, for the marriage lifestyle. 
that he describes, you know, in, in, in the Bible along the lines of, you know, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. We're made for that. And when you take that away, especially as radical feminism has, you know, over the years, they take, take away that natural women's um, tendency to want to be, to want to be uh, chaste, to want to have a uh, courtship and have romance and, and leading up to a marriage. When you take that piece out, then it's turned everything into chaos. It's turned sexual integrity into sexual uh, anarchy. So sexual anarchy, we're not built for. We're not made for. We're made for marriage, really. So um, one other quick thing, this is recent research that I don't think I've even shared with you ladies, um, but they did some interesting research in Latin America, actually South America, Bolivia, with a what they call a it's, – it's, um, it's a tribe – that hasn't ever really been touched by Western civilization other than they have some Western style clothes and they have gotten some rifles from us, but they still, you know, hunt and gather. Uh, they, they have chickens around their, they're like th thatched huts and the man, same, the, the traditional role going out hunting pretty much every day. And then the, the woman, in this case, the one I'm thinking of has eight kids because they don't have the, the, the typical birth control that, that we practice here. But interesting research, they went along with him on the hunt, and this takes four, five, six, seven, eight hours to, to get the game, find the game and bring it down, and then you know, it takes a while to, to walk back. They found out that his testosterone went up, just like they suspected, when, when he was able to kill the game because, again, he had it for his, himself and his family. But um, the second time they went down, so there's two different research trips on this. The second time they went down, they were curious, was there any other... Um, biochemicals that, that that were raised by this activity, this hunting and gathering and bringing it home to your wife and family. Well, lo and behold, it was because he had bonded properly with, with his wife. Um, when he, when he brought the game down, it was the testosterone was high level was high. They were getting him to spit and, and, and checking the spit, you know, and then uh, not only was testosterone, but also oxytocin, which is again, the major bonding chemical once a man um, bonds in the proper way, you know, the vasopressin way I've described with the woman, then then uh, the oxytocin rises as well. So both his testosterone and his oxytocin were high. And that's that isn't um, normal in, in normal society, especially ours where we have a hookup culture, because young men's testosterone will stay high, inordinately high, and oxytocin will stay will, will remain low. And that's that single and really unhealthy lifestyle it literally is unwell an unwellness lifestyle for the for the men as as well as the women but what i'm describing here is what I, the what i think god designed in us when we follow that pathway that more disciplined pathway that i've talked about with sexual integrity versus sexual anarchy and take the pathway of getting you know get, being in a romantic relationship and getting uh, engaged and getting married and then having children it funnels, it channels that testosterone in a direction where it becomes positive as far as uh, toward your wife and your and your kids. And then the oxytocin being right beside it is is a, a huge motivator as well. And it's also very very healthy for the for the the men um, in our society. Again, this is research, not me. But unmarried men have about a ten year um, less life expectancy than 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 married men. So 10 years. And there's no nothing else you could probably name that would have that big of an effect 
uh, as far as a lifestyle habit, even smoking, things like that. A, a woman is less because women are more stable than, than we are, but it's about two years, two years less on an unmarried woman. So, um, so what I'm saying is this design, this scientifically proven design that is God's design for our lives, the marriage pathway, uh, is good for us. It's good for both the female, it's good for the male, it's good for their children, it's good for the community they live in, it's good for the, if, if you're here, the state you're in, it's good for the country and it's good for the world. So um, it's every way you look at it, you win. Every way you look at the other, every way you look at hookup culture, you lose. Okay, well, that's pretty cut and dry, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> and is. It, and it really does support why we're talking about women's sexual health and why we're bringing it into the pregnancy help community because it has such amazing um, impact on general health and wellness, right? It addresses the whole person. Um, it really helps us, again, make that mindset shift from sort of the negative, don't do that, thinking to a much more positive, align with your design, um, optimal health ability. And, you know, culture tells us a lot of things. I think one of the things currently that's so prevalent in culture is this whole, I only want positive energy. I only want good vibes, right? And this smacks of that, right? If you want positive energy, you want good vibes, you want to align with your design, you want to be whole and healthy, then this is how you get there. And the fact that the science, uh, the new, the newer science really supports it, really gives the opportunity to enlighten and in, to empower women. Uh, it validates what they already know. It aligns with their design. It's so, um, it's so fun to watch a young woman all of a sudden say, "Oh, that's why." I feel that way, or that's why my body does that, right? They're completely validated. And, you know, in the pregnancy hub community, on the um, other side of this, on the sort of the backside where women are faced with reproductive decisions and, you know, abortion is a big part of that, part of our mission is really not to um, coerce her or not to even convince her it's the idea that we really are trying to help her see that abortion should really be unthinkable because everything uh, that's available to her and supports her is is enabling her not to make that choice. And I think it's the same here with this women's sexual wellness concept. It's really unthinkable to have anything except a healthy practice and healthy behavior. Um, it's science-supported. It's optimal health. And it's good for you. And that's what we want women to have. So I love uh, just having these conversations with you, Dr. Joe. I am continually fascinated by the things that you bring to the table. And I know our listeners are too. Looking forward to unpacking more and more uh, with some new resources and with our time out in Salt Lake City uh, with you on our speaking roster. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for, um, again, just bringing such good information uh, to the Pregnant community and to doing it with such uh, integrity and passion. Oh, it's been my pleasure and honor to be to be with both of you. And 
Uh, I'm looking very forward to Salt Lake. And just again, for anyone listening to this, um, I love interacting with folks and, and sharing everything that God's allowed me to learn. And um, don't ever hesitate to come up to me if you see me out there. And I, I would love to have a conversation with you and uh, see how I might be able to serve you and your mission, you know, with, with your pregnancy help center. Thank you very much. All right, Christine, with that, we're going to turn it right back over to you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Joe. Thank you, Beth, for your time. Uh, really interesting information. I look forward to uh, checking out that women's sexual wellness curriculum. Um, if you are listening to this and you're thinking you would like to stay updated with Heartbeat Academy news and when new curriculum, new courses, new resources are posted. Uh, we do have emails that go out. If you're an affiliate, you are probably already on our email list, but we want to make sure all of your staff members and even your volunteers can be um, on our email list so that they can receive those updates too. So if you have questions about getting on our list, um, email support at heartbeatinternational.org and we'd be happy to get you set up with that. So with that, be sure to subscribe and share. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Health Podcast. <laughs>